Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. Wow, how fun. I love this. You guys love that? Uh, I really love Jesus, and I thought that was really cool that we worshiped Jesus today. And his name is really great, you know, and I like, I like sports. So there's this thing in sports where the person who wins, their name kind of gets, it's a better name, you know what I mean, like Brady or Messi or something like that. But what's really cool about Jesus is his name is above every other name, which is a really simple statement to say he is greater more powerful, more capable, so we can rest assured with whatever bondage we have, with whatever demons we're wrestling with, or even if the devil himself is attacking us, that the name of Jesus, the power of Jesus is above those things, greater than those things. Uh, it's, it's a little-known secret to worship the name of Jesus, and victories are won through the worship of Jesus, so real-life transformation happens, and when you focus on Jesus and you begin to declare the name of Jesus in your life and give him territory in your life, victories that you never realized begin to take place. You guys like that? We're going to talk about uh, the traditions and making Jesus the tradition of our community. Uh, Because in traditions, we talk a lot about, and uh, as a pastor or as specifically my gift mix or role, I love to reform. I love to dismount and destroy the house of religion, Uh, and I love to see true authentic relationship with Jesus established. And so you'll see me really, really pursuing a lot of reform, especially when it comes to going after those religious things. Uh, And so traditions, we talked about some of those things, and we we pursue some of those uh, dismounting of human tradition to establish and or to see the traditions of Jesus established Because the really cool thing about traditions is they can be a a unifying force in our life. They can create a sense of belonging. Uh, They can create, um, with specific practices, they can create a rally point. Uh, And cool things can happen when there's consistent tradition that is the tradition of Jesus. Uh, And so the the trial or the puzzle for us as people is to leave human tradition and, and see the traditions of God established in our life. That's the challenge. That's the puzzle. Because sometimes it's contrary to our human desire, uh, and we want to establish some traditions according to human desire. But God invites us to a completely different frame of thinking for ourselves as individuals and for our communities. And I want to start with you in 2 Thessalonians 2, 15 through 17, where we see Christ's traditions being established and communicated. And it says, so then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Um, I love this because it immediately begins to emphasize and point to the positive Christ traditions. Hey, stand firm in those traditions. And what I, what I really love about this emphasis here is stand firm, which there's an implication and there's an understanding that the, the traditions of Christ 
are actually the pillars that help us endure seasons where it doesn't feel good and it doesn't have a positive sensation. So the, the invitation to stand firm is an invitation to endure. It's an invitation to change our resolve and to stand firm in those traditions. Uh, traditions being something that we've done. It's a pattern. It's a practice. Uh, take, for example, the tradition of communion. The tradition of communion has been around for a long time since Jesus' last supper. So he's established this thing. And as a church community, we do it in tradition. Uh, we do this thing. Take this cup. Take this uh, bread in, in remembrance of me. There's a tradition there. And it's a Christ tradition. It's meant to be there as a practice in community to deepen our connection to God. It's meant to, it's, look, look at the symbol, symbolism of it. It's a denial of my body and my blood in exchange for the body and the blood of Jesus. And these are the practices or traditions that are supposed to be protected, that are supposed to be established in true relationship. Not in religious, perfunctory notion like, okay, I'm going to take the cup again. I'm going to take the blood again and yada, 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 yada. And so we go and now I'm out the door and I didn't have my heart in it. So then these traditions are not meant to be done on the surface without the heart connection to it. But nonetheless, these traditions are biblical. They're Christ traditions and they're important. They carry symbols. They carry messages. They carry narratives that are eternal, that were here before I got here, before you got here. They were here before we had our own emotions. They were here before we had our own rigidity. They were here before we had all of these things. So when we recognize and we experience these traditions of Jesus, they're meant to confront our sensational and our emotional trendy ideas. So when you feel a certain way based on your specific season, or based on where society and culture is at, you're supposed to take those temporary ideas and you're supposed to bring them to the feet of eternity so that you can actually see what is eternal and what is just fleeting notions of significance. So in one season, I don't feel like going to church. I have this, oh, I just, I don't want to be there. So you should take that emotion and you should bring it to the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, are you authoring this emotion? Are you creating this thing? Hey, uh, man, I, this season I don't really feel like, man, I'm just tired of sacrificing. I'm tired of giving. I'm tired of dot, dot, dot. And you should take that emotion and you should bring it to the feet of Jesus and yield it to Jesus and say, Jesus, have you created this fatigue over doing good? Did you do this? Is this what you are leading me to do? And then you should dive in the word and you should identify if those emotions you're feeling in your walk are something that God has established or if there's something that your emotions are leading you into. Because whatever you follow will produce fruit in your life. Super quick, we start leaning on our own emotional conclusions. Super quick, we start leaning on our own desires. We super quick, we start wanting to protect ourselves and to protect our being and our identity. Super quick, we go to the place not of transformation and self, uh, dying to self and alive in Christ, but super quick, we move to, I am justified in how I feel. I am justified in what I am doing and this is where I'm going to stand, and this is where I'm going to be, because this is how I feel. 
And in relationship with Jesus, his ideas, who he was, his character, this isn't new. This isn't something that just came yesterday or in my generation uh, or in the generation before me or in the generation after me. Jesus and who he is is an eternal beginning and end character. And it is immovable. It is unshakable. It is unyielding to other ideas of how life should go. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The only thing changing should be us in the image of Jesus. I got a scripture for you on this so you don't think I'm crazy. Romans 8, 29 through 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Conformed to the image of his son. Conformed to the image of his son. This is a capital S. This is Jesus. He's the firstborn among many of us. So as we walk with Jesus, this isn't just a uh, social club. It's a transformation club. This isn't a uh, uh, hug each other kumbaya as we all maintain our image and our identity and our rigid structure of form. This is about us as a family. We're connected because all of us, hopefully, are leaning into being conformed by God into his image. Which means there's a uniformity of character. There is no shade or difference or alteration of God's character in different people. God's character is absolute. It is the image seen in Jesus. There is no diversity in the holiness and the character of God. It's one image, one face, one form. There is no debate. There is no negotiation. There is no, hey, I'm a little different than other people, comments and excuses. There's one image. There's one standard of holiness. There's one image and one standard of holiness. There is no shade or difference or alteration. Where we get mixed up is when we start thinking about the diversity of gifts. That's a different conversation. Gifts and talents are not about character. The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. Which means that somebody can be incredibly like God in one specific way without any holiness or character. But this is not an indication of transformation. This is just an indication of giftedness. There is one character for us to be conformed into. One character. Many gifts, one character. One. One image. If anyone tells you dot, dot, dot idea about what their version of Christianity is, and it's alienated from the character and image of Jesus, it's a false idol. It's the attempt to make God in their image rather than us being made into the image of God. This is narcissistic Christianity that wants to make God look like us rather than us like our God. One God. One faith. 
We're unified under one banner of character. It's not my character, it's God's character. It's not your character, it's Jesus' character. It's not your sentiments and emotions, it's Jesus' sentiments and emotions. It's not my vision, it's Jesus' vision. It's not my plan, it's God's plan. Isn't that cool that Drake made that worship song for us? Ephesians 1, 3 through 5, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. If anybody has the idea that Christianity is about their will and their sentiment and their emotions, haven't read that scripture. This was established before I was born. The foundations of this thing, the found, before the foundation of this world, it was set for us to walk in holiness and blamelessness. This is prefixed, preordained, predetermined. This is not about creative power and potential in myself to realize the will of God. I actually don't get any creation power or choice when it comes to my transformation. This isn't about creativity. When it comes to being formed into the image of God, this has already been done. It's already been established who Jesus is. The only thing that is different for each one of us is perhaps the route we get to his image. Maybe we come from different places. Maybe we come from different gift mixes, different backgrounds, different histories, different races, different national affiliations and ethnicities. Maybe we come from different spots, but there is no variation on the end destination. One God. One God. It's not an American God. It's not an African God. It's not a European God. It's not an Australian God. It's not a young God, an old God. It's not an old berry God. It's not a fresh new wine thing. It's just the one image. They're like, he doesn't really care about Tom Brady, even though I want him to care about Tom Brady. I wanted Messi to win the World Cup today. He did. But look, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. He's not a messy God. He's not a soccer God. He, like, this is not, it's, it, that's inverse. This is what it is. We all come to the feet of Jesus, and we all kneel. Every tongue confess, every knee shall bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. So the question is, is Jesus your Lord? That's the question. If he's Lord, then it's not your will, period. It's not about what you want. It's not about what you desire. It's not about what you will. It's not what about you dream about. It's simple. If he's your Lord, it's entirely and holistically and absolutely about his will, his desire, and what he's doing. So if you've received an image of Christianity and a vision of Christianity that Jesus is about facilitating you 
then you've misunderstood Jesus entirely. You've been pitched an entirely false image of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to affirm your will. Jesus came to facilitate the will of his Father for his lifespan and for our entire human history after. Firstborn among many brethren, which meant that the model that Jesus set in the image of Father, remember what he said, I only do as I see my Father do. Don't call me good, Father's good. So he came to do the will of his Father, period. Not sometimes, not most of the time, not just in the ways that he could figure out how to do while still getting his way. He came to do the will of the Father, period. To the point of death and miserable death. It wasn't an exciting, quick way to go out. Crucifixion, brutally tortured up to the point of it. This, is, this was not easy or simple. And just because he was 100% God doesn't mean that it was easy for him to walk this out. This is hard. He, he sweat blood. I mean, this is a very challenging, difficult thing to walk through. In our humanity, to die to self and become alive in Christ is profoundly difficult. Extremely simple, yet profoundly difficult. Because how often in our humanity do we seek to justify self? Oh, man, it's just, I, I've tried to do that thing, but how hard is it not to lie? Like, come on, God doesn't really believe that I could just not lie. And we begin to think of a sinless life as a life that is so loft, lofty and unattainable, we begin to justify bondage. We begin to justify the presence of sin. We begin to see it as greater than our ability to overcome it. Here's where that gets really problematic between you and God. Is that if sin is greater than you, and it maintains its status and hold in your life, and you have now accepted it as a BFF, what takes place is that your faith in God has begun to shrunk. Because when it says that he is the name above all other names, he is supposed to be in your life the name that's above the name of that sin. He's supposed to be the name that's above the name of that demon. He's supposed to be the name that's the name above the devil. He's supposed to be the name that's above death, curse, sin. He's supposed to be the name that's above all those names. And if you and I keep on getting L's because of those things, it should illuminate one simple thing. He is not the Lord of our life. One simple conclusion must be made. Either it's that God is the Lord of your life, but he is inferior to the power of that sin, or that he's not the Lord of your life, and that's why you're still dominated by that bully. It's as if I owned land, right, and, and somebody just kept on coming out of my land and stealing my food, stealing my daughter's Bullying me, taking their armies in and destroying my power, defeating me over and over again and keeping me subservient to its power. And at some point I could be like, hey, Jesus, why? What's going on here? You're like in my house. We're eating together. And then Jesus' response will be, well, have you given me this land? 
Have you made me the Lord of this land, of this turf? Have you made me the Lord of this space? Because if I'm the Lord of this space, I'll drive that thing out easy. But if you just want me to spend time with you while you're still in charge, I don't have permission to drive out these demons. It's your land. It's your life. Victory is seen and or experienced through submission to God. So when the Bible says, uh, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, what precedes victory? Submit to God. It doesn't say, hey, resist the devil and he'll flee from you, because that's an expression of self, defeating the devil. Remember when Jesus said, hey, apart from me, you can do nothing, but with me, you could do everything. Nothing is impossible. It is spiritual victory is realized in a yieldedness to Jesus. Not my will, but your will be done. You have full lordship of my life. And it's such, such a cool thing, right? Because we see salvation prayers, and we're like, that was beautiful. All those people got saved. That was really cool. But that's just the beginning confession of God being your Lord. That's just the beginning. And every single day, right? What is it? Daily, pick up your cross and follow me. Like, this is hard stuff. And it's, I love donuts, right? So in between eating a donut and picking up my cross and following Jesus, most of the time, I want a donut instead. Well, I, I love donuts. You know what I mean? The bow tie ones, they're perfect. They're perfect. And rarely does my human emotion, my lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life desire to pick up the cross rather than eat a donut. So all of a sudden, if I'm like, you know what, that doesn't really feel great. I don't really like the way that feels. That can't be Jesus. We're going to make God a donut God. And you know the problem with donuts is there's really no substance to it. It's, it's a high and then there's no enduring substance to it. And I think, I think we have a habit of making God a sugar high that we get once a week. It's our cheat day. There's no chemistry, biological changes to our form because we're not trying to get changes to our body at that point. We're just trying to get a feel-good pump. Jesus, I come to church so you can pump me up. Jesus, can you... Lizzo, I, I, I didn't mean to quote a song. <laughs> Jesus, hey, listen, Jesus, if you could lend me your power to affirm myself. Woo, oh, I feel good now. I can go about being me for the rest of my week. I do me, and I do it well, and anybody that is an affront to me is somebody that I should destroy. Because this is about me. Why did God say love your enemy? Because it's not about you. So if you can manage to get over you and love your enemy, then you could be managing to express Jesus beyond self-interest. Holy smokes, is that the test of all tests for a Christian? Can you be like Jesus when it is not of your own self-interest? Easy to be like Jesus when it maintains a fulfillment of selfish ambition. I love being like Jesus when it's my advantage. I do. Man, it's fun. 
It's super exciting when whatever it is that you get to do makes your pride feel just a million bucks. Man, I feel good. I'm pretty awesome. I don't know if you know it, but I'm pretty awesome, you know? And when you're experiencing my gift, you should know that I'm pretty awesome, you know? Like, I'm awesome, and my gift is awesome, and then all of a sudden you realize you hit trials, and you hit failure, and you see the very people that you poured your life out into for years on end, and you loved on them, and you ministered to them, and they, in an instant, don't care about God anymore. And you're like, I think I'm nothing. I think I have no power. I think it doesn't matter if Jesus doesn't do it. I think it doesn't matter if somebody doesn't give their life to Jesus, like really give their life to Jesus. Like every influence and every effect I would ever want to have, it's just so simple. My influence isn't even greater than the influence of the devil. So between me and the devil, I lose. If I'm fighting for someone's life and it's me versus the devil, my name's not above that name. Samuel, that name, it's not king of kings. It's not lord of lords. It's nobody's savior. It's nobody's salvation. It's nobody's redeemer. My blood doesn't redeem people. My body doesn't heal people. These traditions that Jesus has established... These traditions of Jesus, they're meant to confront our humanity. They're meant to be like this pillar right here. that It just doesn't move. And it's always kind of in the way, right? <laughs> we should like name it Jesus, right? Because in this whole like ceremony of humanity, maybe, maybe Jesus will be the pillar that makes us go, you know what? This is, we got it, like, it's all about Jesus, right? And so we may have all of these things, like instruments and, like, like Christmas decorations and, like, talented people. But, man, do I hope the traditions of Christ confront our agendas. Dismount the focus on people. And I even cause it hard to see, be like, oh, communion, what an inconvenient truth. What an inconvenient practice. When I took communion the last time, I felt bad about everything I was doing in my life. You ever done that? You ever spend time with Jesus and realize you're not doing anything right? A bunch of times. And sometimes we run away from this, right? We're like, man, I feel so guilty all of the time. It's just Jesus shows up and I just feel like a bag of dirt. Because I recognize how good he is and how scummy I am. And these are my ideas. These bad ideas, these selfish ambition ideas, they're mine. This came from the, the ingenuity and the, the sickness of my own brain. What, do I, what are we to do about the fact that our humanity produces selfish agendas? Tears other people down so we can get lifted up. Destroys the works and the dreams of somebody else so that we can gain an advantage. What do we do about the fact that our humanity longs for expression inside of us? What do we do about this? What do we do about this? Well, we definitely don't deconstruct Christ so that he can match the image of our selfish ambition. Like this agenda to deconstruct religion, I actually think is a great thing. We should destroy the house of religion. But you know what should remain? Forever? 
And ever and ever is the house of Christ. The house of Christ. So if you destroy religion and you make yourself the Lord of your life, you haven't done a godly thing. You've done a selfish ambition thing. The Bible talks about there will come a day where we cast off restraint. Here's the interesting thing, is that there's restraint in Jesus. There's behaviors that are not permissible in Jesus. There's behaviors that are required of us in Jesus. So when Jesus says, I love you, and he loves us with the perfect love, sometimes we come to the conclusion, like, Jesus loves me. I can do whatever I want. Woo, let's go, baby. Jesus loves me. He'll love me forever. He loves me forever. Here's the interesting thing about Jesus is he loves you perfectly, right, unconditionally, so no matter what bozo things you do, and in the same, out of the same God is a perfect love, and there's also a be holy as I am holy invitation. Before the foundations of the world, he set this up for us to be holy and blameless. He didn't set it up for us to be loved, and that's it, no holiness, no righteousness, no blamelessness. Remember what he said to the woman caught in adultery? Hey, I don't throw a stone either. I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. But Jesus, you're judging me. You're not loving me where I'm at and allowing me to stay there. His love was never meant to be permission to stay in sin. If we see Jesus' love as permission to stay in sin, we misunderstand the love of Jesus entirely. The Bible says the kindness of God leads to repentance. The love of Jesus came from the fact that God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The point of God's love is redemption from sin behavior. The point of God's love is that it takes us out of sin and its effect on our life. The point of God's love is to be a powerful beacon, greater than the hatefulness, greater than the bitterness, greater than the agendas of the devil and the demons. It's meant to be a powerful agent of transformation, not a powerful agent of affirmation in sin. So if you're looking for Jesus to tell you it's okay to stay in adultery, you're not going to hear it from him. He still loves you, but you're not going to hear it from him. You're going to hear him say, I love you. Leave that life. I love you. Follow me. I love you. Stop cutting people's ears off, Peter. I love you. Stop being a coward. and Stop being a coward at the fire and not even saying you're with Jesus. I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. He's going to ask something of you in love. He's going to ask something of you that delivers you from fear, that delivers you from bitterness, that delivers you from sin and its effect. He's going to ask something of you in love that delivers you from your humanity. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. We must, we must buy into a gospel narrative that is not about our will, but it's about the will of Jesus, period. 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 But does Jesus care about how I feel? Because this is how I feel. Are you going to have empathy for me? Are you going to have compassion on me? Yeah, when Jesus had compassion on people that were broken and sick, he healed them. He healed them. His compassion didn't lead him to say, hey, listen, you can't walk, so I'm just going to have compassion and not walk with you. 
We're both going to stay here and act paralyzed because you can't walk. No, he had compassion and it led him to heal the blind, to cause the paralyzed to stand up and walk. Like true compassion, the true compassion of Jesus doesn't leave us to live in places of sin and bondage and brokenness. True compassion of Jesus has us in the power of Jesus tell the lame man that he can walk in Jesus. It has him tell the, the man addicted to pornography he can be free in purity in Jesus. It tells the person that's in adultery that you can walk in the purity and the consecration of covenant marriage. It tells the person in a broken place that you can be healed. It tells the person that's being bullied by sin they can overcome. It tells the person... It tells the person that is ensnared in bitterness and can't forgive that Jesus can give you the grace to forgive. Jesus can give you the grace to forgive in a way that you never could on your own. This is the power we believe in. But we can't make justifications over our humanity. We can't make permissions and excuses over our humanity that Jesus does not do. He loves you. He frees you. He loves you. He heals you. He loves you. He raises you up. He loves you. He heals your marriage. He loves you. He heals your mind. He loves you. He breaks chains. He loves you. He calls you out of Egypt, even if it's inconvenient, and you're going to be really hungry a lot, and you're not going to be comfortable with the new way, and you're not even going to like it. You're going to be like, Crossway is way worse than Donut Way. Crossway stinks, man. I don't want this, because you know what's crazy? is after walking with God for this amount of time and this amount of intensity, I still all of the time want things that God doesn't want for me. And yesterday, I want like nine things that are not his will. And I might have done like three of them, you know? Look, and, and it's not for me. And the Christian, the Christian that instead of responding with humility, like, God, heal me, God, free me, God, break these chains, that's a response of humility that, God, I need you. Like, I really actually need you, Jesus. Like, I can't do this without you, so I need you. So that's the response rather than, well, shoot, I can't do this, so I got to just get everyone to stop judging me. I gotta get everyone to stop telling me I need to change this thing. You know how upset that makes me? You know how insecure that makes me when you tell me that's not okay for me to do these things? I'm trying my best. So I need you to get off my back because this is who I am. Well, hold the boat. This is who you are? Predestined us for adoption to himself. Don't tell me you're the son of the devil or the son of sin or the son of bondage. Don't tell me you're that son or that daughter. Don't tell me that. It's a lie. It's a lie because Jesus has called you sons and daughters. There's love. There's transformation. There's power. It's not for your will. It's for his will. It's not for your glory. It's for his glory. He is the name above every other name. So don't tell me your bondage is your king. Don't tell me the sin in your life is your Lord and Savior and provider. Don't tell me that lie. Don't try and convince me of your false idols and gospel narratives of sin and debauchery and shame and guilt. Don't tell me Jesus doesn't love you. Don't tell me you're not a son or daughter of God. Don't tell me those things are greater than Jesus in your life. 
Don't convince me of that or even try. Don't tell me sin is greater than Jesus in your life. You can tell me you don't know how to do it. Gotcha. Let me partner. Let's find truth and wisdom in Jesus. You can tell me you don't know the way to go. You can tell me you haven't found breakthrough yet. You can tell me it sucks. You can tell me you're in pain. You can tell me you're in trauma. You can tell me all these things. And I'll say, great, let's, let's partner with Jesus. What's he saying? Is he giving you a hug? Is he breaking chains? Is he confronting lies and deception inside of you? Is he separating darkness from light? Is he pulling up weeds of bitterness? <laughs> weeds of bitterness. But those things, those weeds have protected me. They've taught me I can't trust. Insert this person. Insert this type of person. They've taught me I can't trust it. They're not safe. There's a way that seems right to a man, and in the end it leads to death. There's a way that seems right to a man, and in the end it leads to death. Don't tell me that your will, your emotions, your humanity is the Lord of your life. Don't tell me that's a good idea. Don't try and convince me of those merits and narratives. It's just not true. It's not true. Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. Every other idea that tries to challenge that place of Lord and Savior in my life has to die. Has to be put in the ground. And I have to say, Jesus, let's execute this thing. Wait, die to self? I, so wait, I'm on that. I'm putting my head in the guillotine? I'm on the... Jesus, come on, I thought this gospel was about my enemies dying, not me. I thought when I invited you into my life, it meant that you beat up the bully, and I feel really good about it. Wait, 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 so you coming into my life and being Lord of my life means that I have to die? Oh. But I, I have a lot of good ideas. I don't know if you know this, Jesus, but I'm super creative. Kind of talented. I don't know if you know that. You might want to take it into consideration. This isn't, like God doesn't compromise. And if you try and paint a picture that God loves you, thus he compromises and does what you want, you don't understand God's love. So this is, this is non-negotiable. This is immovable. This isn't my idea. I didn't come up with it. This isn't my emotions, my, my, my strategies, my plans. This, Jesus is the rock and the foundation of our life. If you want to make him the Lord of your life, that would be my recommendation. But I can't emotionally sway you to do it. It'll get too hard, and you'll be like, that pastor's dumb. I don't want to do that anymore. You have to truly, every single day, choose. Jesus, you're still the Lord of my life. You're still the Lord of my life. I haven't evicted you from this land. I haven't removed the title. I haven't, through pain and suffering and trials, lost my connection and my devotion to you being the Lord of my life. Like, every single day, this is your resolve, your conviction. That's why it says, stand firm. Stand firm on this really old, not creative, not sexy new church trend idea. Stand firm on it. There is no other way there is no other way to even consider than the way of Jesus. There's not many things in our life that are just non-negotiable. 
Like, what am I going to eat for Christmas? Maybe it's turkey. Maybe it's Mexican food, because that's always a good idea. But that really doesn't matter. Is service at 7 a.m. or 10 p.m.? Noon, do we worship last, first, middle, or never? Do we preach never, last, middle? It, it, it doesn't matter. The, the question is, is Jesus the image that is forming us, conforming us? Have we made ourselves clay and just lumped ourselves on the table? Or are we the clay that's like shouting back at the potter like, yo, that's a bad idea. You don't get to shape that part of me. That's already formed. You know what's next? You see the Lord of your life? You're going to have to break that pot you made. Here you go. Be gentle. I got a lot of preconceived notions. I really like this form. It protects me. It tucks me in at night. Helps me sleep. Helps me reconcile all the pain in the world. I just hate all the bad people. It may be more emotionally convenient to be yourself than to become the image of God. But just don't listen to those emotions. Say, no. See, when Monroe wants to punch everyone, I say, hey, just that, don't listen to those emotions. Otherwise, if we just listen to whatever emotions the strongest inside of us, we are our own Lord. And we're shaped by those lusts, that pride. Can I pray for you guys? That would have been funny if you yelled no, huh? <laughs> no, stop. <laughs> Um, you can stand or you can stay seated. You could lay on the ground. Whatever you want. <clears throat> Sometimes we think that it's smart and clever ideas that'll get us free but it's an unwavering commitment to Jesus being our Lord unwavering so this is what I want to pray I want to pray Lord that you would steal our resolve that you would crystallize our convictions that you would deepen our connection and our commitment to you being the Lord of our life and this is what I want to ask you. It's real simple. It might sound like a salvation narrative message. It might sound like a coming back to Jesus one. But this is simple for me. I want to ask you this simple thing. Do you want to give Jesus full lordship of your life? If you want to do that, I just want you to lift your hands. Jesus, I recognize. Right? Like, Jesus, I recognize that you don't have full lordship of my life. I've only given you partial lordship based on what's convenient or simple or easy for me to understand. But Jesus, together in this room, for each person that wants to walk this out with you, we give you all lordship. We give you the fullness of our heart, our emotions, our mind. We give you lordship of the full landscape of our life. My pain, 
my promise, my potential, my gifts, my dreams, my will, my desire. God, I give you all. All of it, Jesus. All of it, Jesus. All of it, Jesus. I give you all. All. Jesus, be the Lord of my life.